Hello, hello, hello. Oh, okay. Great to see you this morning. I'm excited, if you can't tell. I'm always excited seeing to be up here. Um, my name's Annalie. Thank you for the introduction, Chris, and I thank you for the team that was amazing this morning. Erin, uh, Felicia, you guys nailed it. Ron, Ty, awesome. Excellent, let's get into it, shall we? I was recently reminded of how compelling the Bible is. You see, it's not just because it is the Word of God or the Spirit of Truth, not only because it is a direct link to God's purposes for us, His disciples, not only because it documents and presents the incredible historical account of the Jewish people, and not only because it is a word of promise showcasing the majestic gift of Christ Jesus the Messiah, but it also is so compelling, so irresistibly powerful due to the fact that the men and women of the Bible are ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And I felt really led to remind you today, really remind you in a restorative manner that you too are ordinary people doing extraordinary things. The fact that you are here today, that you are a Christ follower, or if you're online, means that God can use you. You are ordinary, normal, doing extraordinary things. You could be used by God as extraordinarily as a Daniel, a Joseph, or a Peter. And through you, God can do the impossible. Through you, God can deliver a generation. And through you, God can build his church. How exciting is that? And that's part of the position that I want to speak from to you today. I also don't know whether you've ever had the experience of being on a platform or being able to speak in church, but like, how many stages of grief are there? There's kind of like five stages of delivering a message up here in the fact that you start off feeling, yeah, I've got this, God's going to give me the message. You feel confident, you've researched, you've read, then you plummet into doubt. You start questioning all of your life's choices up until the point and then you get to a place where I don't care anymore, God, just do your thing. So I was at a level though, I can honestly say, normally I follow through the stages of all those stages. I have been so excited about this message until about 10 minutes ago when I did question my life's choices. But genuinely, genuinely, I am pumped. I'm so excited because God also stirs in my spirit visual images. And we might get a chance at the end today to have a look at the clip that was laid on my heart. A movie, The Colour Purple, you might have seen it. Real feel-good tale. Makes you feel good about yourself at the end of it. No, it's a four-box tissue kind of movie. Ice cream, chocolate, line it up. But in this moment... In the colour purple, there's a moment where they sing the song, God is trying to tell you something. And that's what I felt led to. And it's out of that posture this morning, God is trying to tell us something. And I'm excited to see the Holy Spirit move today. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's all about you this morning, Lord. We give you all the glory through this message. And wherever your Holy Spirit needs to go, let us posture ourselves into a place of surrender to your direction and your word today. And I pray, Lord, that as we are stretched in this time and challenged and convicted, Lord, that you just reveal a new understanding of who you are. All glory and all power go 
goes to you, Heavenly Father. Amen. Amen. All right, Mark, you ready? The title of my sermon today is Big Bold Faith. Well done, Mark. (laughs) We didn't even need to practice it or anything. But this lately has become my fixation and my obsession. I want to consistently through the Holy Spirit experience and express huge, extraordinary, gigantic, bold, big, humongous, passionate, exuberant faith. And it's undaunted. The kind of faith of the centurion as expressed by Jesus in Matthew 6.10. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, truly, I tell you, we read the room well, (laughs) truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I want Jesus to say that of me. I want him to say, truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone at Uni Hill with such great faith. Anyone in Bandura, anyone at your work, wherever your situation is, anyone with such great faith. Can you turn with me now to Acts chapter 12? This I'm going to be reading from the message version today. It's going to be story time with Auntie Annalie for a little while because I do want to read the entire story. (gasps) Settle in. Here we go. But it's great. It's a great story. You'll love it. It was about the time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. The angel told him, Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt, that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. 
When she recognised Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her when she kept insisting that it was so. They said it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Tough gig if you're a guard that morning, eh? Point one, keep the faith. There he is. You're welcome. When I was preparing for this message about big, bold faith, it was, of course, Peter's narrative that I felt really illustrated the point about keeping the faith. I think we can all agree that faith resides in an assurance, a belief, and a conviction. Faith is also the knowledge that God exists, that Jesus is the Messiah. Faith is a spiritual gift joined with and relating to God. Faith is also knowing that God is everything and can do anything. Someone's reading my notes down there. And of course, in Hebrews 11.1, 1, it states, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not perfect. You pass. There is no question that faith definitely exists within this narrative. There was a group of believers praying earnestly for Peter to be saved, says so in verse 5. Therefore, they had the faith to believe that this was possible. And prayer is, of course, very important to the heartbeat of God. Not only do we see Jesus pray a lot, but we're also, of course, given the Lord's Prayer. But I think the revelation for us today and what the Holy Spirit is establishing in our understanding and how to rise in faith is to recognise exactly where that assurance is placed and to really reflect on how each of us view God. And here in this narrative, we see God's mighty power making a way when there is no way, demonstrating his sovereignty and his faithfulness to once again perform a miracle. You know, this story, the story structure alone references and points all glory to God. You see, it starts off by establishing, in a great establishing shot, the setting. We're sitting under King Herod's rule. Then we are introduced to a group who are praying earnestly, but simultaneously as they're praying, the narrative shifts to the main focus and you know, middle act of the story. The actual escape and the event, the miraculous saving of Peter from Herod's clutches. And then when he escapes, he returns and finds that they are still praying. So the sequence and the way that us as a reader are directed through the story, we come to the realisation that while the miracle had begun and was completed, they were still praying. That it all had been done through God's awesome, mighty power, yet they were still praying. 
The miracle began and was completed before their prayers had ceased. Peter was knocking on the door and they were still praying, still boldly believing that God could and would perform a miracle. And the lesson here is that our faith and prayers should not cease until we see the miracle. We don't give up until we see the door open and the miracle in front of our eyes. And it also shows us that God doesn't actually need our faith, that faith actually exists for us. It is a gift for us to stir us, to encourage us to persevere in the assurance and the conviction of who God is. It's the Spirit stirring up in us a position of going deeper, being bolder, being bigger in our faith and increasing our faith until God performs His miracle, whatever that may be. And even though it may not, may not be what we have asked for or what we expect. The faith of the people was still keeping the faith in this prayer meeting, even though the miracle was completed. Their prayers and faith, of course, are, are important to the story. However, God's power, authority and plan is the dominant feature of this narrative sequence. That's where the main point of the story comes out. The emphasis that the miracle had begun and completed well before the end of chapter 12. That's the real focus of the story. It's all about what God can do and to remind us where our faith actually comes from and the power and awesomeness behind it. Faith should be big and bold and passionate and huge because what happens to Peter is truly incredible. And if God can do that for Peter, then my faith becomes bigger and bolder to believe that he can do anything for me. So the sequencing of the narrative in such a way is again, not about us in showcasing what faith can do, but all about showcasing what God can do. Peter was unaware of the fervent prayer being raised to heaven and God had already performed the miracle as they continued praying. That's the big, bold faith that I want to have, found only in the belief and conviction and assurance and certainty that he can do anything, absolutely anything, and may already be bringing the miracle as I continue to increase in my faith to believe the impossible. You know, Peter wasn't walking out of prison thinking, oh, thank goodness they prayed for me. I'm so, so relieved that Ryder and her team were like, you know, championing heaven and they, you know, the faith of them rose to heavenlies. No, he states, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches. Peter's own faith is solely placed in the assurance of God. And so the story helps us to really understand faith is for our benefit and not for God. And to rise in faith is to rise in our understanding of what God can and will do despite our faith. That his sovereign will is vastly infinite than we can ever understand or comprehend. And that's 
what we base our faith on today. And with any circumstances and the evidence of this story, it has to be big and it has to be bold. Point two, faith and trust and a little Holy Spirit dust. As much as faith is its own perfect gift, the conclusion I have come to is that it leads to trust. And as I began to seek God and really press into Him and desire a bigger, bolder faith, I began to see the significance and importance in the relationship that to have big, bold faith, as well as having a deeper revelation of God, who God is, we also need to have big, bold trust to accompany it. However, let's make some important connections firstly about faith and trust. Our faith has already been established through our salvation and acceptance of Jesus Christ as our Saviour. It is a gift given freely for us through the Holy Spirit. We don't earn it and we don't have to test it, but our faith increases because of the Holy Spirit and through our continued pursuit of trusting God. And if we want to increase our faith, then it requires of us everything we have, every part of our lives and handing it over and trusting every part of ourselves to Him. Proverbs 3, 5 to 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to Him and He will make your path straight. Trust is also, of course, trusting God with the outcome, no matter what that outcome looks like. But even though God can do all these things and more, just because we have the faith to believe it doesn't mean it will automatically happen. That's where the trust kicks in. The trust to believe that God's plans and purposes are bigger and better than our own. We have the faith to believe it, but ultimately our trust is depending on God every step of the way. And what does trust look like? The psalmists wrote countless verses about God's infinite power working in their lives, serving as a reminder of not only what God can do, but because it also establishes trust. And I'm sure we have all had moments we can think of where people have broken our trust and what that feels like. But trust is like faith. It is built on assurances that God has never let us down and can be trusted with every part of our being because of the countless instances where he has been faithful to each one of us. However, just because things don't go our way doesn't mean that we should pull back our trust or lessen our faith because of it. Let's look at the first part of Peter's story. And unfortunately for James, it wasn't titled James's story. Can we assume that the people who had gathered to pray in Mary's house didn't also pray out of the same faith and trust for James to be miraculously saved from his execution? Did the outcome of James diminish their faith or their trust in God? Did they think, oh, well, 
God can't do this. I don't have the faith to believe anymore, to believe that God can't help Peter because he didn't help James. I don't trust God anymore. It didn't work. Let's just forget it. God is untrustworthy. No, they continue to have the faith to believe and the trust to pray even after seeing the outcome. Because regardless of that outcome, they understood that God's purposes and plans were bigger than their own and that had he, he'd been unquestionably faithful. So it was out of their assurance of who God is that they continued to press on and trust and pray. You see, ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And this is where it becomes so relatable to us, a real grab you by the shoulders, shake it into you kind of moment. Don't give up moments. Go bigger, go deeper with your faith and your trust. Can we for a second in our humanity understand James's situation and then see the rescue of Peter? No possible way. Does it make any sense no, not an ounce. And I bet it didn't for the believers as well. Does it seem fair? Probably not. Probably not in our eyes. But that is where trust has to exist. Because if we don't trust in our Heavenly Father's bigger plan, then we are left with some pretty big, bold emotions of doubt, discouragement, which we'll look at in just a minute. Faith and trust. Faith and trust. If anything, where we can't understand the outcome, we should go bigger and deeper and bolder with our faith and bolder in our trust to know God is in control and that he must have a much more amazing outcome and plan. If our limited assumptions and the outcomes that we thought should have happened didn't. I'm sure when Peter was locked in prison and with the chains on his you know, arms and legs, and the extra guards and sentinels being placed at the different points of exit. He was thinking, wow, I really, thought, I really thought this might have been a bit different. I really thought that the outcome might not have been me ending up in prison. And I'm sure he was praying though, your will, Lord, and not mine. But I'm sure even in his amazing understanding of Jesus and who God was, that he couldn't even have thought for a second that an angel would come in and bust him out of the clink. I don't think that was even probably on his register. That's what's going to happen. No. So I guess the moral of the story is don't diminish your trust and faith. Let your faith be shaken. Instead, increased faith is through increased trust and trusting the outcome no matter what. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And finally, point three, doubting. And you can insert your own name there. Doubting Annalie, doubting Robin. <laughs> I'm sure we've all been there at some point. That's why I've said insert your name there. We have just seen that not only does this story speak to incredible triumph, but it also speaks explicitly to unspeakable tragedy. But the story also highlights some really human responses that I think we can all relate to. I love this story. It's, a, it's really 
you know, a great story for my personality because I love it that, you know, Peter was suddenly woken up. I love the fact that an angel was speaking to him. I love that the angel told him to put his clothes on. Such a practical angel. I love them. I love them. But it's obviously important to the story for it to be included. Who would have thought? I love it that Peter is convinced he's having a vision. He's having a dream. It's not really happening. As the angel walks with him out of prison. Then, of course, when Peter knocks at the door, Rhoda doesn't even open the door. She's like, just runs away in overjoy. So he's left standing, if you visualise, he's left standing there knocking, going, what is going on when she's just left him? Believing that, couldn't, she couldn't believe that he was there. And then they don't even believe her when she tells them that he's there. You're out of your mind. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said it must be his angel. So they assumed that he's dead. If they're saying it's his angel there, like they made the connection, well, if you're hearing his voice, he must be dead. Like the best narrative ever. Even though there is so much faith exercised in this story, the fact that there is human hesitation and doubt that Peter is even at the door and they question the situation, question Rhoda's sanity and coupled with Peter's own disbelief and doubt is such a classic, normal human response. I might get the keys up if that's all right. Are you the kind of person who would have believed this scenario, not questioned it for a moment, or are you the kind of person who's a, I need to see it to believe it kind of person? Like our dear friend Thomas. Of course, we know the story of Thomas, doubting Thomas, who I feel got a really raw end of the stick to be called that name. By the looks of it, everyone doubts. Poor Thomas, which emphasises also there's nothing wrong with doubting. It doesn't mean we don't have faith. Doubt and faith can actually coexist. But in fact, what never, ever ceases to amaze me is that despite all that Thomas and Peter had seen and witnessed and the fact that they had walked with Jesus, these two disciples, like so many of them, at different moments questioned and demonstrated and showed how human they really were. And so when we fall short or if we stumble and trip in our own humanity, I almost feel grateful to the disciples and their inadequacies as a sort of, you know, leave pass moment. But the point, of course, of stories like this and others are to encourage us. When we exercise our own faith, it needs to be just as unwavering and as bold as the people praying to believe that God's sovereign will and His big picture has more of an infinite expression than we could ever understand. Yes, we might doubt the outcome, But the point of narratives like this is to build an understanding of God and therefore make it easier for us to trust Him with everything. Trust Him with His ways and His purposes and His plans. And let's desire to increase our faith and stop relying on our own strength, but have the faith 
and the trust to let go and not to doubt the outcome. And so in closing, we need to stop relying on our natural defences and exercise our spiritual offence. There is no possible way that Peter could have ever, ever have escaped his fate without the intervention of our Lord and Saviour. Just like there are circumstances in our lives that without spiritual intervention, we'll ever overcome in our own strength and actions. But what we can do, what is in our control, through the grace and the gift of the Holy Spirit, we can exercise big, bold faith and then trust that God's will will take precedence. And although we may not be able to see it, we engage our spiritual offence of faith to know He can and will make a way when there is no way. And that is why stories like these are so compelling and so rich in examples and encouragement for us. And whilst we experience all of life's incredible highs and devastating lows, seeing ordinary men like Peter and Thomas, and ultimately even like James, their natural responses are encouraging for when our own emotions take control. But as well as that, as well as that, it's the extraordinary, big, bold faith that they live by. And that's what I find so, so inspiring. And this story of Peter wasn't the end, but it was only the beginning. He continued to pursue and live in his conviction and faith of salvation, to spread that salvation story of Jesus until the day He died, to witness to anyone despite the costs and to have courage and big, bold faith to trust in God with every part of His life. That's the bigger picture for us today. Peter's story wasn't limited to an incredible prison escape but the outpouring of his entire life was in full surrender to God. That's his narrative. And that's the faith that I want in my life. That is the faith I desire, full surrender to God. I wanna have extraordinary faith that sees miracles happen, angels appear and mountains move. And I want my faith to be even bigger and bolder than even Peter's was that it might be renamed St. Annalise Basilica. And that's because I desire to trust God more and come to a greater understanding of who He is, laying everything down, laying every part of myself down for His glory, His will and His story, His plans and His bigger picture. God, we just desire more of You today. led to say to someone today, it doesn't matter what the past looks like. It doesn't matter if your faith has been rocked, but there's a line in the sand drawn today. Past is in the past. 
we're looking towards the future. You're not defined by this side of your life. There is a bigger plan for you today. And just like Peter's story wasn't all about his prison escape. It was about his entire life, his entire life's journey. And the point from that point to the end of his life was in full surrender. So you can go bigger and you can go bolder despite what your past looks like, despite what circumstances have held you back. In fact, those circumstances are from a place not of God. Instead of dwelling on it and looking back to it, kick it in the face with joy, kick it in the face with faith, kick it in the face with hope and understanding of who, you're, who you surrender to. You don't surrender to this, you surrender to the almighty, powerful God, the God of a future, the God of purposes and plans for you today. Your faith is still there. It never was in question, but the emotional response needs to be surrendered to God. Know who you serve is the message for you today. God is trying to tell us something. From Greg's message last week about unlocking spiritual gifts, the point of today being bigger and bolder in faith, God is trying to tell us something. It's not about the past, it's about our almighty future and who we serve today. Who we serve today. Would I be so bold to ask you to stand to your feet this morning as I pray? Heavenly Father, You are awesome. You are powerful. You are majestic. You are holy. You are worthy. You are wonderful. You are worthy of every part of us, Lord. And thank You, Lord, that You've met us here today in our position of faith. And You've reminded us and encouraged us to be bigger and bolder, to ask more, to seek more, to press in more, to go deeper with, Lord, to get to know You more, to surrender more. That is where we're at a place today, Lord God. And I pray the people here today who have felt that they have been knocking on the door like Peter with no answer, that they have knocked and knocked and knocked on the door. And they continue knocking today, Lord God, but I know, Heavenly Father, that Your miracle is on the way. And even though it might not be as we see it, Lord, we trust that Your bigger picture and Your plans are far more than we can ever comprehend. And I pray, Lord, for a supernatural outpouring of faith today, that as people continue knocking, that they, they are unceasing in that, Lord God, because they know they've got an assurance and a conviction and a belief that the miracle is on its way, that You are there, Lord, on the other side of that door. Or anyone today who is feeling in a place of doubt and discouragement, that they might have thought, well, did I really completely trust God in this? Or I find myself now in a big, bold, emotional situation, Lord, that I can't see out of. But I pray, Lord God, that You reveal Your power and majesty in a bold way today for them today, Lord. Heavenly Father, I just thank You so much of this revelation 
of what faith can and should look like in our lives. I pray that we leave here exercising bigger and bolder faith than ever before. That you've got our attention, Lord. And if as collectively as a church, we can surrender and use our faith for the common good as a spiritual gift, that we will encourage those around us to strive to be bigger and bolder and disciples of your salvation message, just like Peter, Thomas, James, Thank you. Thank you, Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name, Amen.